0: Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Set in the dark underbelly of the Silicon Valley, The Social Dilemma fuses investigative documentary with enlightening narrative drama. Think inconvenient truth meets the matrix. Expert testimony from tech whistleblowers expose our disturbing predicament. The services big tech provides, search engines, networks, instant information, etc are merely candy to lure us to bite. Once we're hooked and coming back for more, the real commodity they sell in their prowess to influence and manipulate us. The film is called The Social Dilemma, and we're joined today by the director of such films as Chasing Ice and Chasing Coral, back again to talk about The Social Dilemma, Jeff Arlovsky. Jeff, welcome back to Film School Radio.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. Awesome. Uh, Thank you.
0: So uh, in your never-ending search to uncover uh, the hard truths of the world around us, what Put you on to this particular subject.
1: Um, yeah, we were. Uh, we had released Chasing Coral um, in 2017, and you know, I think with Chasing Ice and with Chasing Coral, we spent a lot of time talking to people all around the world who were skeptical of climate change, actually. And I constantly was wondering how is it possible that despite overwhelming science, there was um, such a strong uh, opposing perspective on this, and. That had just been in the back of my mind for a long time. Um, Why is there so much climate denialism? And in 2017, uh, I bumped into a friend of mine from college. Uh, uh, I went to Stanford, and my friend Tristan also went to Stanford, but then he went and worked at Google. And he started talking about how there were problems with how the code was designed at Google. And I had never heard anything like this before. I have a lot of friends who work in Silicon Valley at a lot of different companies, at social media companies and different tech startups. And this was a completely new perspective that was pretty mind boggling to me, to be honest. And after talking with Tristan and talking with some other friends and and diving into it, I realized that there's a real serious threat here, that the way that the technology is fundamentally designed is not aligned with society's interests. And the business model here is extremely problematic. And uh, when when I had those realizations, it was pretty clear we needed to make a movie about it.
0: It is interesting because, and I'll go back to sort of the origins of the internet, going back to the real sort of widespread use by, by people in, outside the scientific community. And I would peg that at around the mid to late 90s when people started to buy computers, got online. At first, it was just uh, asking a few questions about what's in newspaper articles, but then it evolved. It's evolved. And and for a long time, it did genuinely appear to be what I think we've idyllically thought it was, which is an exchange of information and an opportunity to connect with a greater knowledge than ourselves, than our own sphere of, of knowledge, right? It seemed like that for a period of years, I'll, I don't know if there's a number I'd want to put on it, five to 10 years, the initial. Is that an accurate sort of assessment of I think the way? So. I,
1: think, I think it started off from a very, very innocent place. And, um, and still to this day, there are lots of really, really great positive things that can come from these platforms. But there was a shift that happened. Let me share a story that we learned, but um, I actually haven't been talking about this much and it's a scene that I always wish got into the movie, but is not in the film. But uh, we did an interview with a woman named Shoshana Zuboff, who wrote a book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. And in that book, she defines this major turning point. When Larry and Sergey um, started Google, um, they had written a paper at Stanford, uh, their thesis, I believe, that said in it, they didn't think that advertising would be a good way to run search because it would corrupt the incentives of the company. And they specifically said that. And then they got to a point where the company was pretty decent sized and the dot-com bust was happening and they were running out of money and they needed to figure out a way to sustain themselves. And they switched over and they embraced the advertising business model. And that was a huge shift uh, within Google where they changed their previously stated values and they adopted something that we've seen in different ways on the Internet. Right. And and advertising, of course, has been around for a long time. But advertising through these micro-targeted, personalized um, methods is so completely different than anything we've seen before. Right, And that, powered by the most powerful computers on the world, um, with the best machine learning in the world, is what has led us down to this place that we're in today.
0: Right. And just to reinforce what you just said, I recall a number of big startups from the late 90s that went bust. I, the one that comes to mind sort of comically is Pets, Pet.com, I think was, a, was the mm, big yeah. startup. A lot of those initial companies collapsed. And there was a lot of chatter on Wall Street about the internet and the viability of the internet. What are they selling? How are they going to make money? And I remember there was a big deal made about when Facebook went out with its IPO, how was it ever going to be able to generate enough right. revenue through advertising to be able to pay for this massive PIO right. that they had just gotten? Right. So is, and I, I don't want to get too far in the weeds now because <laughs> I want to talk about the film, but at yeah. some point I think it's important to, I think it's a discussion worth having is, was there ever a business model that could exclude yes. generating revenue? Okay,
1: yes, absolutely. So uh, you're posing a really great question and I, I I agree. I think it's worth time because this is in many ways, the origin story of this problem Um, and the way you're posing that too, it's like everybody questioned, are they going to be able to make enough money via advertising and what ended up happening and it took them quite a while is that they just made such good tools for advertisers that it became more and more and more valuable. So instead of just putting up a billboard in a street, Now they're putting a billboard in my living room or in my bathroom or in my bedroom or countless billboards that are surrounding me and uniquely surrounding me. These are billboards that are custom to me and not to you. And that's the shift that happened in large part because of the mobile phone that moved us away from the shared personal computer that the whole family uses to my personal tracking device that's with me all the time that knows my habits knows my patterns knows my gps coordinates and knows how to reverse engineer me individually so i think those are some of the big shifts that have happened um and that is how these free products have become some of the most valuable industries most valuable companies in the world we use the phrase in the film if you're not paying for the product you are the product and that is the very explicit reality that we're dealing with right now. We are the product for these tools. Um, I could talk about alternative models if you'd like as well, just but very briefly because um, it can get wonky quickly, but we could be paying for these services via subscription like you do with Netflix or Hulu or HBO. We could be um, paying based on how much data they store for us, like you do with your Apple iCloud. And if you want Facebook or Twitter to keep a month's worth of history or 10 years worth of history or a thousand photographs, you could be paying accordingly. The influencers could be paying based on the number of subscribers they have. So if you pay, how much is 1 million followers worth versus 100 million followers worth? And somebody with 100 million followers is likely to offer a lot of funding to, um, to keep that, uh, that community. Um, there are other models where we could be taxing them based on the amount of data they collect and treat them like uh, a utility and you pay for your water, and we want them to pay for their data. Um, So there are countless alternative models. I think the reason why these companies chose the advertising model is because that's the one that is the most profitable to them, that they make more money manipulating us. They make more money through this ad model. Facebook makes more money per American than Netflix does per per user, right? So the, the amount of money that they're making off of us is greater than what they would through these other models.
0: Yes, very interesting stuff because it's this idea that we're the commodity, which has completely flipped the old advertising exactly. schematic. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah,
0: and that, and we'll get into this. And we'll want to before we go any further. I want to remind our listeners what we're speaking with Jeff Orlowski. He's the director of a new wonderful new documentary film called The Social Dilemma. It is going to be out on Netflix. Speaking of Netflix, it'll be on Netflix on September 9th, coming right up. So check this out. Uh, you'll know Jeff from such films as Chasing Ice and Chasing Coral, and Academy-nominated, I do believe for, or um, do
1: you I, I am not Academy-nominated, but Chasing Ice received a nomination for Best Original Song. And uh, both Chasing Ice and Chasing Coral were shortlisted. For the shortlisted,
0: Oscar. that's what I, okay. Sorry, tried to give you a nomination. Yeah, no,
1: I just want to <laughs> give the credit. Jay Ralph, our composer, uh, totally hit it out of the park with his song, and he, he and Scarlett songs.
0: Johansson, I believe, did a wonderful job.
1: Johansson yeah. song for uh, for Chasing Ice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's a terrific. Beautiful,
0: beautiful. Yeah, great job. Well, let's talk about sort of the nuts and bolts of uh, the the social dilemma because there's a lot of great people, and you've alluded to a few of them here in this film you present the issue as we as we are today and where we're going with all of the technology it's even it's getting more and more sophisticated all the time and there is another flip that you describe in the film which i found in addition to understanding us more more thoroughly in our habits in our in the way we behave where we shop who we associate with it's now getting to a point of nudging us in directions that are more profitable for these companies as well please talk yeah about-
1: absolutely if you think about a typical company that's trying to sell a typical product if i make sneakers and i want to sell more sneakers uh if i want to make more money i need to sell more sneakers right if facebook wants to make more money they have a lot of different ways that they can make more money they they can use their algorithms which is basically a self-learning computer program. Like the computer program will learn on its own and optimize towards a particular goal. So, okay, Mike is my user here and uh, Mike spends an hour on social media every single day and I can show you, you know, uh, whatever, let's say 30 advertisements in that period of time. Well, if I just turn the dial and show you 60 ads, I've just doubled my income. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I, show you 90 ads, I can triple my income. But maybe you then are using it a little bit less. I can learn that as I show you more ads, your experience decreases and you spend less time on it. So I can throttle that back. That's all being done by an algorithm that's optimizing what's the right ad load for you. All right. um, there are different People on the platforms that get very different ad loads. Celebrities with huge followings see fewer pieces of content because they, are, they want to optimize for a better experience for them. Then the algorithm can also figure out, okay, I can get so many ads in this hour with Mike, but I can get twice as many ads if I get twice as much time. So the algorithms are going to figure out, okay, how can I get Mike to spend two hours on the platform? And there's no person sitting at the computer deciding, oh, maybe Mike's interested in this or maybe Mike's interested in that. What's happening instead is the computer is just literally throwing everything at the wall at you right. and sitting with sticks. Right. It's not what you're asking for. It's not what you want. It's not your, you know, your intentions in life and what you want to learn or aspirations. It literally will just throw whatever works on you to get you to come back and to get you to spend more time on it. And this is the real the heart of the problem in my mind because now without anybody opting in any feed this, uh, this applies to facebook this applies to twitter this applies to instagram applies to tiktok it is learning oh these are the things that work on Mike, and let me keep pushing more and more towards those particular things I, I think of it like if you're walking through the supermarket and there are cameras and sensors all around the supermarket and the supermarket could tell that you looked at the potato chips right then the next time you walk in, there are twice as many potato chips. And you never look at the asparagus. So why ever show you asparagus? And after a decade of walking through the same supermarket, your supermarket looks like potato chips and ice cream and cookies. And you don't even remember that asparagus exists. Right. Right? That's what the algorithms are doing. And, they're, and because you love those potato chips so much, every time you go in, you want to spend more and more time right so this is not typical advertising right this is not typical news distribution this is not this is such a dismorphing of our information landscape right and it is this is what we're dealt with now and as a reminder your supermarket looks completely different than my supermarket and completely different than my girlfriend's or my neighbors or people in my family like everybody has their own customized experience as they go on these platforms. And one of our subjects says, we're living in 2.7 billion Truman shows. Everybody is getting their own personalized reality. Everybody's on their own little island of thought, right. drifting further and further away from others.
0: And where this is more, even more significant than just the supermarket example is that Uh, when it comes to actually making decisions about the future of not only ourselves, but of our families, but also of our society, of our political environment, of the choices we're making on who's going to lead us into some of the most difficult times in the history of humankind. We're now really being fed information that's being tailored, either to reinforce what we think we know, or to steer us in a direction that isn't
1: that... Uh, Absolutely. I I use this food analogy, but really, when you look at that as information, that's where it's frightening. This is where the political, from my perspective, I believe that this is the majority of where our political polarization is coming from. And when when the left and the right can't even have a conversation together anymore, it feels impossible. If every year Thanksgiving feels harder and harder, right? Right. (laughs) Right. Like there's, We've been experiencing this, and I think what we're trying to do what we're trying to do with the film is to put a, a name on it. Like this is why we're feeling this in society. Nobody knows what President Trump sees, and I'm not referencing President Trump from a political perspective. I'm referencing President Trump from a an active Twitter user perspective. Right. Nobody knows exactly what Trump sees on a daily basis. We can all watch, we know he watches Fox News, we know he watches cable television, we know he watches different networks. We can all tune in and get a sense of what the President of the United States is seeing on a daily basis, except when it applies to his Twitter feed. We don't know what he's seeing and when he's seeing it. And even if he were to create a, a duplicate account that follows all the same people that he follows, it would be completely different in terms of what is shown when based on the President's engagement with that platform. So we have information that um, can come from anywhere with no vetting, that can be amplified by an algorithm, and can end up anywhere um, with no regard for the truth, and no regard for fact checking, and no regard for its impact that it could have on society.
0: You're absolutely right, and the and it's in the film. This is this this what. Jeff is talking about is in The Social Dilemma on, on, on these very important issues. And just to pick on um, President Trump for a second, we also know that he has a pretty close relationship with Mark Zuckerberg. And, and if there is one sort of death star in this in this sort of uh, universe of social media, in my opinion, because it's so widely used across the, the world... Uh, it would be Facebook. I think of all of. The, I know there are other people that have gravitated to other yeah, I, social. Media. You don't think? I
1: I, I, uh, I think Facebook is a huge. Problem. I would I would say Facebook and YouTube are the two platforms that have pushed misinformation and yeah. conspiracy theory the most in my mind. Yeah. Um. And and I put probably Twitter as a third. Um. From from my perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I can't speak to the relationship that, that Trump and Zuckerberg have, obviously. I don't know any of the nuance there, but um, there's a real challenge that these platforms are facing based on how they're fundamentally designed right. with this notion that, let, let me just pose this as, a, as a, an example. Where is conspiracy theory happening, right? It's happening on Facebook and YouTube and on these social media platforms. Where is it not happening? There are content platforms like Hulu, like HBO, like Netflix, where you don't see misinformation and conspiracy theory running rampant. Those are places that have a business model that aligns with the public. Like I'm paying HBO for my subscription and I get quality content that has been curated by humans that has been vetted and has been released. Um, The model for YouTube and for Facebook and Twitter is let anybody throw anything at the wall. Like it's all fair game anything can come in and anything that's going to create another engagement is a positive thing for the network. Right. right? And we'll, we'll, you know, we have content moderators that filter out the bad stuff is what they say, but it's already, there's research that we put in the film where lies can spread six times faster on Twitter than the truth. So if a lie spread six times faster and can be supercharged by the algorithms, it doesn't matter how many content moderators you have, like harm gets done once it's posted and spread and even if you catch it after it hit 100,000 people, it still hit 100,000 people. Right. Right. And so you can't undo those things. So I think there's a challenge between this user-generated content plus this advertising business model, the the micro-targeted advertising business model that puts us in this scenario that we're in right now. Uh, I want to suggest to you
0: two possible um, ideas I've got floating around uh, I've got some ideas floating around in my head about ways in which we can yeah. begin to arrest some of this crazy Yeah. Yeah. one is that we should you and I should be able to look at the data points that, that are being gathered about us there should be a way yeah. in which we see what they think they know about us that should be Absolutely. open source that should be yeah. something and, and so just so we know now whether or not yeah. we would be able to impose the power to change what they think they know about us that's a different discussion yeah. The other thing is, is I do believe this should be a public utility. You, you, you alluded yes, to it earlier. Absolutely. And yeah. the other thing is, I think there should be in the same way that the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, there should be a universal declaration of access to our information and, and, and the ability to shut off them from
1: getting um, information on I'm it. I'm completely. Uh, write up the policy. We'll get it to a uh, congressman. <laughs> yeah. Do any of those, I, I those really, make
0: yeah. sense? I mean, to you? No, they do.
1: They make a lot of sense. I think this is where the conversation is shifting to now: is what are the solutions, and what do they look like, and how do we get to um, how do we get to this uh, solution place? Yeah. Um, I think we need something like a Department of Algorithms or Algorithmic Transparency, right? So, not just what data are they collecting about us, but how are the algorithms then being used to deduce things about us that are being used to push certain things to us? Because it's not just what data are they collecting? There's this deduction that can happen. Like it can collect data to the point where it knows your moods. It can correlate behaviors to moods. It knows when I, I, this is what I've heard, but that the, the platforms can know when a woman is on her menstrual cycle and can track to a monthly cycle with female users. Um, and that data has been advertised, like Facebook has advertised that they can use that data to sell more products. Like that's Facebook promoting their advertising abilities. Right? right? That is mind boggling to me, right? And that, that just seems wrong in so many ways. I think that uh, users should have control over their own algorithms, so not just the data, but I want to be able to have a slider around, I recognize there's too much information in the world for me to consume all of it, right? But I want to be able to choose what is shown to me and why. Here, there's a great analogy that I've always loved. It's, it's going back to this food reference. But when when you're shown a menu, you think you have choice over what you want to choose from the menu. But who is choosing what's on the menu in the first place? Right, And so when you look at your feed on Facebook or YouTube or what have you, you don't know what pre-filtered the certain things that appeared on that menu. I want to be able to choose how much left-leaning versus right-leaning politics do I want to consume. I I should be able to choose how much friends and family versus news I want to consume and not have that be driven by an algorithm that's optimizing for Well, we know that they have optimized for engagement for so long, but we these aren't transparent. We actually don't know right now all the nuances of the algorithms.
0: Well, the social dilemma is a great start to that conversation. There's some really good documentaries out about this particular issue going back a couple of years ago to the Great Hack, which was a wonderful exploration of the impact on politics Absolutely. and I, I just saw one the other day and I'm sorry to be hyping your another film uh, but uh uh feels good man and uh the sort of the uh, accelerant that uh some of these things some of these programs like taking Pepe the Frog which was a which was a, a benign um, you know, cartoon turned it into a, a, a right. an avatar for, avatar for the the alt right, uh, and how they're addressing this, and how people like yourself are talking about reappropriating this space for ourselves, reappropriating it for our for a public space, more of a a, a forum for information and, and conversation as opposed to yeah. throwing rocks at each other over yep. it, and. Uh,
1: um, That's how the software could be designed. Like it could be designed for civil discourse. It could be designed for how do we bridge communities? How do we bring people together? Um, there's this, uh, there's this research around, uh, the scientist named Dunbar and the Dunbar number. And part of that is like, we can only like historically, we only really can maintain 150 strong relationship ties, um, before it becomes too difficult, um, and uh it's interesting because when you look at that and you're like okay i can have 150 friends that are meaningful that but then you look at these platforms and you're like oh but now we're in the thousands and thousands like it's it's physically impossible for a human to have like a a good like a knowing relationship they're not friends right and and i think that's where they shifted to this language around followers but we're not designed to engage with 10,000 people or 10 million people right right that's we're getting these false sense a false sense of connection right on these platforms uh, when they are wrapped around um, engagement and when that is the the driving rubric
0: yeah well congratulations on this <clears throat> excuse me on the social dilemma again let me remind our, our listeners that it's uh, going to be screening on netflix on september 9th coming right up and it is, uh, once again, another wonderful documentary film from Jeff Orlowski. Thank you Thank so you. very, very much for this discussion and Thank for the you film. And any time. You, Thank you, for you, the you great you know,
1: questions. Really, really appreciate
0: it. Uh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jeff, for coming on Film School Radio.
1: Awesome. Bye-bye.